Father, we just ask you to, to bless our time in your word today. And, and uh, Lord, uh, just take these words that are going to be spoken, that the example that Abraham sets for leadership, Lord, and, and help these parents here today that, that have dedicated their children to, to see uh, through his example how they can lead their children, Lord. And also for, for David and Brandon, that they can see how they can lead a church and uh, lead their own families, Lord. So I just ask for, for your special blessing on this text today that, that uh, you just bless our study and then bless the ordination as we finish up today, Lord, and our fellowship uh, this afternoon. We just, we just praise you and thank you for, for all you do for us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. I don't think there could have been a better text. Uh, we could have found a better text in the Bible than the one that we have today in Genesis chapter 17, where we left off last time, a better text for, for, uh, for these parents who have dedicated their children or a better text for these men who are going to be ordained. And these, this text serves as a great charge for both of these men. Uh, because if you're going to be a parent and you're going to be an elder uh, or a pastor, then you've got to be able to lead people in the right direction, to lead them where you want them to go. And Abraham did just that. In this text we're going to see today, he got every single one of his men to follow him uh, into this relationship with the Lord that came with a condition. The only condition was that they would be circumcised. And every single one of these men are going to get circumcised. And so we can... We can learn a little bit about leadership from what Abraham uh, shows us today in this text. Now, if you were to look at uh, a textbook uh, and, and look for the qualities of a good leader, you would find things like uh, the ability to create a vision. A leader has to have a plan. He has to be able to create a vision. Uh, he has to have courage. A leader has to have integrity. Uh, a leader has to have focus on, on, on his plan, on his vision. And uh, 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 he has to have experience. And the ex- leadership experts will tell you that, uh, it, that the men and women who have those qualities uh, w- are men and women who can get people to follow them just about anywhere. Well, in today's lesson, Abraham's going to get every single one of his men under his authority to do something that was unheard of in his day. He's going to get them to get circumcised. Uh, but when you examine his life, and, and that's what we've been doing over the last uh, several weeks, when you examine his life, actually, if you look at these textbook qualities of leadership, Abraham was lacking in several of these qualities. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. But he also, and this is what's important, he had some qualities that you won't find anywhere in a leadership textbook. Uh, and as parents and elders, as any kind of church leader, we want to know what those qualities are and how we put those qualities to use because uh, we want to be able to get people to follow us too in the right direction. So let's go back to chapter 17 and pick up where we left off last time. And if you remember what we left off last time, God was renewing his covenant to Abraham for the third time. And uh, uh, he had told Abraham that I'm going to change your name. 
Your name means father, and now it's going to be Abram Yom, and Yom means nations. So you're going to now be the father of nations. And so uh, when we pick up in verse 15, he, he, he continues on in this renewal of the covenant. Look at verse number 15. Uh, then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall now not call her name Sarai anymore, but now you shall call her Sarah. That's going to be her new name. Now, we looked at the name Sarai when we first saw it, and we, we learned that it means my princess. Well, Sarah means royal princess. So what God is doing here, he's prophesying about Sarah's role in history, about her future role in history. And what's her future role in history? Well, look at verse 16. And he says, I will bless her, and I will also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Now, that's quite a prophecy, because at this point, Sarah was 89 years old. Now, that's way too old to be having your first child. In fact, that's impossible at that age to have your first child. But, but with God, all things are possible, and, and this is going to require a miracle of God. And not only that, is she going to have this son? She's, God's going to do miracles through her long after she dies. Because she's going to be, uh, in her bloodline, are going to come uh, forth these kings like David and Solomon and even the king of kings himself, Jesus Christ. And, and, and so God has renewed this covenant. He's told Abraham, you're going to have a son. All these promises that I gave you uh, a, decade, a decade or so earlier, all of these promises are actually going to be fulfilled in your life. And what does Abraham do when he hears all of these great promises from God? Look at verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face. Now, that's a good thing. He fell on his face. Sounds like he's going to worship God. And he laughed. He laughed and said in his heart, hey, this is impossible. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, he's calling her Sarah now, royal princess, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Uh, I think he was being a little sarcastic calling her Sarah at that point. And a lot of expositors say that what Abraham, the reason Abraham laughed is because he was so full of joy. I don't buy that for one minute. He laughed, and you look at this context, it demands this explanation. He laughed because he just didn't believe that God could do what he said he said he was going to do. There was no way that Sarah was going to have a child, and he was going to have a child. And so uh, he just didn't believe it. God had told him on several occasions it was going to happen. It hadn't happened up to this point. And so he, didn't, he just at this point didn't believe it was going to happen, and so he laughed. And that took a lot of nerve. It takes a lot of nerve to laugh at God. You're a bold man if you laugh at God. Now, he was on his face, and he was thinking God didn't see him. But uh, 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 that takes a lot of nerve, nerve, because what are you doing? When you laugh at God, when God gives you a promise and you laugh at that promise, what are you doing? You're calling God a liar, and that's exactly what he was doing by laughing. Now, how often do we do the same thing? I mean, God gives us some impossible dream or some impossible vision and or some impossible calling for our future and at first when we first get it we get all excited and we're full of zeal uh for for the vision that god has given us and and we're ready to go and 
And uh, then we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And then we finally just give up on the promise. And then after several years, God shows up again, and he renews the promise. And we're like, oh, sure. You know, I've waited this long, and now you're going to do what you said you were going to do? I mean, that's kind of like what happened to Moses, wasn't it? I remember Moses. I mean, Moses was told from a young age that he was going to be the deliverer of Israel. He was going to take them out of bondage. He tried to do it himself. And in the process, he, had to, he killed a man, and he had to flee to, to the desert in Midian. And, and uh, he was there for 40 years. And so he was, about, he was 80 years old. And, and God, he, he, he had just given up on that vision. And God appeared to him and, and said, hey, you're going to deliver Israel. You're going to deliver them out of bondage. And Moses said, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I'm slow to speak. I'm, I, I stutter. Uh, get somebody else. And God said, no. Uh, because, because that kind of attitude is, is, is bad, but it doesn't change what God's going to do. God is going to fulfill his promises. He fulfilled his promises in, in, in Abraham's life and in Moses' life, and he's going to fulfill his promises that he's made for you in your life in his time. But when we doubt God, let me who's miserable? Is God miserable because we doubt him? He might get angry at us because we doubt him, but he's not miserable. We're the ones that are miserable. And so during these periods of waiting, when we're doubting God, and we, we, we're making ourselves miserable and everybody around us miserable, we're going to be ineffective in whatever God has called us to do. So we want to be careful about that. But Abraham was tired of waiting, and he was tired of struggling with doubt. And, and so look at verse number 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, you know who Ishmael was. Ishmael was the son, really you could call him an illegitimate son that he had with his handmaid, Hagar. Uh, and so, so uh, he's, Ishmael's 13 years old at this point. And so he says, look, look, God, we don't need a miracle. I don't want to wait any longer on your miracles. I don't want to have to exercise faith. Let's just let Ishmael uh, be the child of promise. Uh, uh, let's let him be, be the one who inherits all the promises. And, and, and again, I think we do the same thing. How often we offer God our Ishmael's the works of our own hands, because we don't want to wait on God. We don't want to wait on a miracle. You two men that are going to be ordained today, uh, let me warn you, there's always a temptation to try to step out ahead of God because you get tired of waiting on God. You're, you're, you're looking for a miracle, so you take matters into your own hands and you try to, try to create some kind of program or something to make God's will happen. Be careful with that because God does not accept our Ishmael because God wants to be honored through his supernatural work. And, and he doesn't want us to be the ones who are honored through the works of our flesh. And so we want to be careful with that. Then verse number 19. So, so the Lord said to, to Abraham, uh, really loud and clear, he says, no, no. Sarah, not Hagar, your wife, She'll bear you a son. And you and everybody else is going to know that it's a miracle when that happens. You're going to know that this is my doing and not your doing. And you shall call his name. Guess, I'm going to give you a name for him so you're reminded of what you, 
falling on your face and laughing at me. You're going to remember this the rest of your life. His name is going to be called Isaac, which is the Hebrew means laughter. You're, 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 every time you see Isaac from now on, you're going to get a big laugh. And you're going to remember you laughed at the fact that I promised you I was going to give you a son named Isaac. And so the uh, Lord always has his purposes and his names. And then he says, he says, I will establish my covenant with him, not Ishmael, for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And then in verse 20, he says, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Look, I know you love Ishmael. I know, you know, I'm going to bless Ishmael. I haven't forgotten Ishmael. I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. By the way, those princes are over in uh, Genesis 25, uh, verse 12 through 16. We're not going to go there today. We don't have time. I was going to go over there and let Brandon read them for us and see how he did with it. But, but I thought but otherwise, since we, we have so little time here. So, so let's go on. Verse number 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, not Ishmael whom Sarah, not Hagar, shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, that's great news at this point. Because at this point, he knows, he's finally given a date. This time next year, you're going to have uh, a son. And so he was only three months away, or a couple of months away, from this promise being fulfilled, finally being fulfilled. All right, now look at verse number 22. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up. He, he went up, meaning he came down. So he was talking face to face with God. And he went, so God went up back to heaven from Abraham, and Abraham was left all alone. He was left all alone to himself. Now, He wasn't left all alone with nothing to do. He had a monumental task before him. His task was to get every single man in his clan to agree to be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to sit here and describe circumcision for you, but I can tell you, I can't tell you from experience because I was only a, a baby when I was circumcised, thank the Lord. But I can't imagine how painful that would have been. And so uh, he's got to get all of these men to do this. I sort of joked about it last week. But just imagine the scene for a minute. Here is Abram. What's his name mean? Father. How many kids does he have? None. And, And he's 99 years old. No children, and he gets another name, Abraham. So he goes to his man, he says, guys, guess what? God's given me a new name. Abram Yom, the father of nations. You believe that, guys? Sure, Abraham, you're 99 years old, you don't have a kid, and now you're going to be the father of nations. Yeah, we believe that. And he says, my wife's been given a new name, too. Her name now is not Sarah, it's Sarah, which means uh, royal princess, because she's going to be a mother of nations and great kings to come. 
And by the way, God has given me a sign for this covenant that he's made with me. Circumcision. And one of the guys in the crowd raises his hand. He says, what's circumcision? And Abraham said, well, it's doing something really painful. Really very painful. And he explained to him what it was. And at this point, if I was one of those guys, I would have ran as fast as I could, as far as I could, to get away from Abraham and his plan. And you would expect these men, all of these, these were mighty men. They had got, these 300, 300 of these guys had gone with Abraham and they had defeated four kings and their armies of thousands. And so these were mighty men and God's asking them to do, I mean, God through Abraham is asking them to do something really crazy. And they don't rebel. What's their reaction? Let's read it as we finish up this text right here. It says, so Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all those who were born in his house, and all those who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh. Now, there's your description, if you want a description, of, of their foreskin that that very same day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Now, now that's... Boldness, i got to tell you. That takes guts. I don't know I would have done that. I guess I would have. I hope I would have. And Ishmael, his son, who was, thir- who was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, here's what I want you to see. Watch this. That very same day Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all, look at that, all the man, every single one of his men in his household that were of his house, born in the house, or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with them. He led and they followed. Now the question, that begs the question, why? Why would they agree to follow him in a rite that God had initiated that was more painful than anything they had probably ever experienced in their life. And there's only really one answer I can come up with, and that is that Abraham was one heck of a leader. I mean, he had to be a good leader to get them to do that. But when you look at those qualities that I listed in the introduction... Uh, for a leader, Abraham's lacking. I mean, let's, let's talk about that just a second as we finish up here. Vision. Did, he, did, did, did Abraham go out and create a vision for his man, a plan for them to follow? Was he a man of vision? Not really. He had a vision, but where did he get his vision? His vision came from God. Now, that's a really good thing. Uh, courage. Did Abraham have courage? He, at times, he certainly did, did have courage. I mean, you, you uh, uh, remember when he went, and, and I mentioned it a while ago, he went with those 300 men and he, and he fought four armies and he rescued Lot. That took a lot of courage. But then when he fled to Egypt and he, he told those, uh, remember he told those uh, princes that, 
that Sarah was, was not his wife, uh, that, he did that because he was a coward. He was afraid. And that brings you to the issue of integrity. Did he, does he have, did he have integrity? Well, he had integrity most of the time. I think he seemed to be a pretty honest man. But at times he faltered in his integrity. We saw him lie to Pharaoh. We saw him lie to Pharaoh's princess. We're going to see him lie when we get to the story about Abimelech. And so at times he lied. And, and, and I've got to tell you something. Integrity is not a part-time thing. You can't be honest some of the time and have impeccable te- integrity. It just doesn't work like that. You're either honest all the time, even when it hurts, or you're not really an honest person. And there's not many, I've got to tell you, there are not many honest people out there. There's not many people with impeccable inter- integrity. There's a lot of people that you can trust as long as things are going their way. But you put them into a bind, and then, and then uh, they're, 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 that integrity is, is, it comes into question at that point. And then as far as focus goes, I mean, Abraham wasn't a focused man. He wasn't focused on his plan. He wasn't focused on his vision. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have gone up to Haran and just stopped and settled there until God kicked him out. And, and then he moved down to Egypt. He was moving all over the place. He, he, he didn't have focus. He wasn't focused on the vision that God had given him. Experience. I mean, did Abraham have experience? He didn't have any experience in circumcision. And he's asking his man to lead him in circumcision, and so, so uh, he's doing it without any experience. So he fails in all of these qualities, or falters in all of these qualities. So how did Abraham get these men to be circumcised? How did he lead them into circumcision? Well, Abraham possessed two leadership qualities you won't find in any leadership textbooks. Number one was he had faith. Abraham is the father of faith. He had faith in God. Uh, But you, you say he's got faith and then we've been looking at Abraham over these last few weeks and as we've studied his life, I mean his faith has faltered over and over And over again, just go back to verse 17. When God renewed the vision, what did Abraham do? He laughed. Why did he laugh? Because he lacked faith. So his faith faltered all the time. That's true. But remember I've said on several occasions, it's not the size and consistency of your faith that matters most. What matters most is the object of your faith. That's what matters most. And I have no doubt that the object of his faith was none other than, than those, that man he saw in those theophanies, none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That's where he had his faith. And, and if you have your faith in Christ, Christ is faithful when we're unfaithful. Abraham believed the Lord and he believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so he had real faith. And his men knew. They had been around him enough. They had seen him falter in his faith. But they knew that his faith was real. They had seen him as he walked and talked with God. They had, they had seen him get back up when he failed to, to live like a, like a man of God should live. Now, you parents that are here today and you dedicated your children uh, to the Lord. 
May I, I want to ask you a question now, and I didn't ask you that earlier because I don't want to put you on the spot. And you, nobody can see how you respond to this now. But, I mean, I want you to answer this question. Do you really, do you really more than anything else, more than your child becoming a doctor, more than your child becoming successful in America, more than your child joining the military, more than anything else, do you really want them to grow up to know the Lord? Answer that question honestly. Well, let me tell you, if you do, if you answered yes, then your part in that process is to show them real faith. What real faith is. Real faith in Jesus Christ. They need to see you walking with Christ. They need to see you, hear you talking with Christ. Every day. As a way of life. They need to see you serving Him as your God. And not a bunch of idols that this world throws up at you. I mean, so many Christian parents lose their children because they're too busy serving their idols and their kids end up worshiping their idols instead of worshiping their God. And if you let things become idols in your life, they're going to become idols, even greater idols in your children's life. They need to see you seeking God's will for every decision you make. They need to see that you don't just shoot from the hip. You do what God tells you to do when God tells you to do it. If you don't do that, you can do a million dedications. You can baptize your babies a thousand times. You can do all sorts of stuff. You're not going to save those children. You're not going to have any part in their salvation. In fact, you're going to have a part in their perdition. They've got to see real faith. Brandon, David, you want people to follow you into a real relationship with the Lord? Then they have to see that your faith is real. That you live by the strength of the Lord. That you take your direction directly from the Lord. Not from anybody else. If they don't see that, they're not going to follow you. They might follow you, but they're not going to follow you into a relationship with the Lord. And then there's this second leadership quality that Abraham had. It's something I beg God for every day in my ministry. Because I lack in it big time. Let me tell you what he had. He had love. Love. You won't find that in any textbook anywhere. A leader ought to love his people. You won't find that. In fact, do whatever you got to do to get them to do it. You got to beat them. You know, it's kind of the philosophy of the world today. But Abraham loved those men. He had a love I mean, you've got to have a love for people, and you've got to have a love for God. You know, I have no doubt that when Abraham told those men about, hey, guys, we're going to get circumcised, he, he was their master. He could have tried to force the issue. I don't know he could have, but I don't think he, I don't think he, he was that kind of taskmaster. 
I think he was a loving master, and he loved the people that, that uh, he had bought and that were slaves and servants in his household. And so, so, so I think he loved these people. He wanted them to be part of this covenant. He loved them so much that he wanted them to have a relationship, the same relationship with God that he had. And so I think he said something like, look, guys, I understand. If you don't want to be circumcised, I understand 100% if you want to just walk out of here, I'll set you free. Just, just leave. I'll give you some money and give you some cattle, and you can go. I understand if you don't want to go through this, through with this. But if you'll go through with this, I believe, I really believe at this point, I am going to have a child. God is going to make a great nation, and God is going to bless us all. Most importantly, he's going to bless us with a relationship with him. I mean, I don't have to tell the parents here today that, that you've got to love your children uh, if you want them to follow you, because love comes naturally for a parent. But Brandon and David, let me give you this charge today, and really everybody in this room. If you want people to follow you, you've got to love those people. You've got to love them. Now, it's easy to love people like me. Now, my wife might beg to differ on that. It's easy. We all think we're lovable. But there's a lot of people out there that are unlovable. You know what I've learned in the ministry? Those unlovable people are the ones who need your love the most. Look for unlovable people and show them your love because they need your love. You, You need to, Brandon... David, you need to hunt those people down. Be as kind to them as you possibly can. The Lord will honor that. And Abraham, here's what impresses me the most about Abraham. Just just reading a few chapters about his life. He didn't just love other people. More than anyone else, he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord enough and was comfortable enough the Lord, with the Lord, even though he had saw him earlier in all of his glory, that when the Lord renewed the promise to him again for the, for the third or fourth time, he fell on his face and he laughed. Maybe he could do that because he was with someone he loved. He knew, loved him. And, and parents... Elders, everybody in this room, if you want people to follow you in the things of God, you've got to have a passion for God. You've got to have a passion for Jesus Christ. You've got to love the Lord. Where does that passion come from? I believe, for the most part, it comes from from studying the Word. And studying the Word, I'm not talking about just becoming a scholar of the Word. I'm talking about studying the Word in prayer, looking for a word from the Lord, looking to talk with God, looking to hear from God. And why do you have a passion? Well, Abraham, I think if you ask him that question, he would answer it this way. I mean, why not? Look at all the great things 
the Lord has done for me. Why should we all have a passion? Let me, let me close with this. Reading from, I read it to you a couple of weeks ago. From 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Fear God and serve Him in truth. Parents, elders, fear God and serve Him in truth. With all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. That's why we serve the Lord. That's why we have a passion for the Lord. Look, there's a lot of people, maybe people in this room, don't understand for a minute the great things that God has done for them. They think they do it themselves. They think the United States does it. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Down at the end of our, the, the border around our swimming pool, there's a, there's a, there's one little plant that comes up. It's a day lily. Every day, that thing blooms, these beautiful yellow lilies, and then they close up and die, and they come back the next day. Every day. I told Brenda the other day, isn't evolution amazing? <laughs> that that plant would learn over time to pop up like that and bloom like that every day? No way. You know what I see every time that plant blooms? I hear God saying, I love you. That's for you. That's for me. That's for you. Just a day, Lily. Children. What a blessing from the Lord. Brandon, David, ministry. What a blessing from the Lord. God's done great things for you. That's why you have a passion for the Lord. That's why you want to serve him with all your heart in truth.